Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hi, this is Joe Castellano. Welcome to episode two of the Sports Virus Podcast. Great to have you with us. Glad you could join us again after last week we had a great first guest for this podcast, Greg Gumble from CBS Sports. He was just fantastic. And now to follow it up, we're going to go back to talking about the San Francisco Giants. I mentioned on the last podcast that after 12 years of doing the Inside China Basin Giants podcast, we're going to an all-sports podcast, but I've been wanting to get the longtime Giants coach Ron Wotus on the podcast for a long time, and we're finally going to do it. He announced that he is retiring from being the Giants' third base coach after a long time with the organization. And I'm looking forward to talking to him here on episode two. But first, I did want to talk about the Buster Posey retirement, which occurred last week. Shocking news maybe to some people. Not to me. I wasn't shocked. A little surprised that he would do it this year as opposed to maybe next year or the year after. I figured that it was imminent. Let's put it that way. I was hoping that he would continue to play and maybe just move over to first base because being the catcher certainly was taxing on him physically. And let's hear what Buster had to say about why he is retiring. The reason I'm retiring is I, uh, I, want, I want to be able to do more stuff uh, from February to November with my family. Um, physically, it's much harder now. Uh, and to be honest, it's hard to, hard to enjoy it as much when there's the physical pain that you're dealing with uh, on a daily basis. Yeah, it was just getting to the point where uh, things that I was enjoying were uh, were not as joyful anymore. And um, no doubt that camaraderie with, with the teammates in the clubhouse and, uh, you know, the thrill of, of, of winning a great game I'll miss. Um, but, yeah, I just think weighing all, weighing all those things, it, it – uh, was ultimately why I didn't really feel like I, I wavered at all during the year. That's Buster Posey from the press conference last week. And then, of course, the topic came up right away. Is he a Hall of Famer? And I did hear some members of the media saying no, but he didn't have you know enough numbers uh, piled up to be a Hall of Famer. To me, it's a no-brainer that he is a baseball Hall of Famer in five years. I mean, he was one of the best catchers of his era, if not the best catcher. I mean, defensively right up there with Yadier Molina every year as the best catcher. And then offensively as well. He did have a little bit of a tail off to his career there for a couple of years when he was not completely healthy with his hip. But you saw what he did in his last season, 2021. Uh, and that, you know, to me was the real Buster Posey. I'm disappointed that he's not going to be around anymore because, you know, he still was playing at a very high level. He's still at over 300 and, you know, he had the power going this past season. I would like, would have liked to have seen him play at least a couple more years, but it's not going to happen. Well, the Giants, they won 107 games in 2021, and Ron Wotus was there for all of those. Now he is stepping away from his duties as Giants coach. He was the longest tenured coach in Giants history, 23 years. Started out as the third base coach under Dusty Baker, moved to the bench coach role, and eventually back to third base. And I had a chance to talk to Ron Wotus on Wednesday morning 
Well, Ron, thanks so much for joining me here on the Sports Virus Podcast. And my first question to you after listening to uh, Buster Posey talk about why he retired is, why are you stepping away now? And uh, is it something that uh, you're uh, definitely going to stay with, or could we see you again in a baseball uniform? Well, Joe, that's a great question. You know, it was, uh, it was great to be at Buster's uh, press conference and, and to listen to the whole thing. And I definitely can relate to what he was, uh, what he was talking about and the reasons that he was getting out of the game. You know, I don't know what the future holds, uh, the long-term future, but at this point in time, um, I'm kind of stepping away from everyday coaching, similar to the same reasons that Buster has. I mean, I've been on the same schedule since high school. Um, always been part of a team. I'm 60 years old and I just find myself, um, you know, wanting more time with family and real life things that, uh, we all miss because of our jobs. And, um, I love the game. I love the players. I want to stay in the game. I'm planning on doing something with the giants. Uh, we're working out the details, but just getting out of that, you know, eight straight months every single day where there's there's not much else in your life. It's it's a big commitment. So, um, you know, it was great to see Buster uh, or listen to Buster um, giving his reasons and, and mine are very similar. Were you surprised about Posey? I mean, some people were out and out shocked. I, I wasn't shocked, uh, but, you know, disappointed that he's not going to be playing anymore. Yeah, I mean, obviously he has a lot more to give to the game, and and we talked about it a little bit. Um, I've I've been around him for a long, long time. Um, you know, with the regime change coming in and all we've been through, you know, the core group, the belts, the Crawfords, the Posies, and guys that have been there. You know, we we've talked about a lot over the years. I wasn't shocked that he was stepping away. Um, he's always been a family man. He's always had great balance in his life and really kept things in perspective. Um, did I think he was going definitely do it? No, especially after the year that he had. And um, also that price tag that's staring him in front to pass up $22 million really tells you the character of the person and what's important to him in his life. Yeah, I thought maybe he'd move over to first base. You know, it's not as taxing as as playing the catching position. He's proven in the past that he could handle it over there, but I guess that wasn't really an option for him. No, not really. Look, I, I think it's it's the time uh, commitment away from his family. He has four kids. He has the twin girls that he adopted uh, last year, um, and I think it really boils down to family. You know, they're they're both from Georgia. Um, I know he's had, you know, a niece that he's never even met yet. And, um, you know, he's had a tremendous career. You know, he had mentioned to me at one point, sometimes players stay too long or, or they stay so long that nobody wants them and they stink. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, I think that, uh, you know, him weighing out everything that he's accomplished, he's been to the top of the mountain three times, uh, as a, as a team member and individually he's accomplished. Uh, as much as anybody in the game in his 12 years. So I just think it's more of a a family and time commitment, and he was ready to uh, put his family first. What a way to go out because he did play really well on the team. I mean, 107 wins, and same for you to to finish out on that note, although the last game – 
I mean, that was just so disappointing. I think I stood there staring at the television for a while, Ron, and I know I, I saw a clip of you actually kind of looking out at the field. I mean, this is how this is going to end with this check swing call by Gabe Morales. What was your reaction to it, and, and how did that sink in with you and the team? Because that was a tough way for the season to end against the Dodgers. Yeah, Joe, everybody's been talking about that. And um, in that moment, I actually threw up my arms like I couldn't believe he, he called the check swing uh, to end our season. And actually, that's the second year in a row on, on a poor call by the umpire that our season ended. If you remember last year uh, with the cardboard cutouts watching, yeah. um, there was a strike three call on Austin Slater that was definitely a ball way down low. He, he call, he, it was a called third strike that ended our season. And if we would have won that game, our season would have continued. So um, two years in a row, um, it happened. And, you know, I look, I I don't fault Gabe. Um, You know, the check swing is the hardest call in baseball. Uh, I've always said whenever there's a check swing and I'm out there at third base and I see the check swing, sometimes I think uh, they didn't go and they do go. When you start breaking that down in slow motion, I would say 90% of the time, if it's close, they do swing. So what was more disappointing to me than the check swing was we had an inning going earlier in the game. Um, Crawford was on first. Bryant was up with a 2-0 count. And there was two strike calls that were definitely balls. And that could have changed the uh, complexion of that game because we would add first and second, nobody out. And it was a low-scoring one-run game. But the check swing... A difficult call. I did not dwell on that, you know. Um, in the moment, I was upset, but uh, put that aside real quick as you realize your season's over and, and you just got to move forward saying goodbye to your players and thanking people. I mean, you've been with the organization such a long time and you've seen a lot of success, of course, with the three World Series and everything and, and going to four of them. But this season was really special. I mean, to have over 100 wins when nobody expected it. And the rivalry with the Dodgers, which is always intense to begin with, was just incredible to watch on a daily basis and then to see that come to fruition in a postseason series. What was that experience for you just going through it as the season went on? Yeah, I know those are all great points. Um, historic season, uh, historic uh, divisional race. It'd be hard. We'll be hard pressed to see that again, I think. And, um, you know, look, uh, you, no one expected us to do anything. Never mind win the division with 107 wins. And, you know, that really was uh, a great uh kind of playoff run for us to hold off the Dodgers down the stretch because this went on for two to three weeks that we couldn't afford to lose any games and uh, we did a tremendous job and to to win the division and and we all knew that's what we needed to do we didn't want a one card uh, one game wild card game so that was that was tremendous uh, to come out of nowhere to have that season to hold off the Dodgers to win 107 games but at the end of the day, it's always a bitter pill to swallow um, when you get knocked out in the first round. It had it happened to us in 2003 when we went over 100 games and we faced the Miami Marlins, and, and, and they knocked us out in the first round with Felipe Alou as the manager. And it happened again uh, this year. And um, so, you know, having gone to the World Series four times, um, it never sits well with you when you get knocked out because that's the ultimate goal, not how many games you win during the season. 
the Atlanta Braves uh, proved it again, just like us. You know, um, you don't have to win 100 games to be world champs. If you play good baseball at the right time, uh, you're hot at the right time, um, you can run the gamut. So it was, uh, it was always, it's always hard to take uh, when your season ends and, and you don't win the last game that you play. This team uh, really had some great chemistry. I mean, I know that they don't get where they're going without Posey playing as well as he did, as you mentioned. Brandon Belt came on strong and fortunately was hurt at the very end of the season. And Brandon Crawford, to me, has to be near the top as far as MVP candidate. I don't think he gets the national love that he deserves. He did win his fourth gold glove. And to me, that's a no-brainer, although I heard Buster Olney from ESPN saying that it should have been Francisco Lindor. I just get surprised sometimes Mm -hmm. at the... The, you know, the lack of respect that Crawford gets, uh, you know, especially after the season that he put in this year. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Look, um, we all fall in love with our own, own players and for good reason, because we see him every day and we see the things that he does for the club. And, uh, you know, it's all about numbers today. Um, you know, if you have the statistics, you have the home runs, um, you know, people are going to be pulling for you. And look, Tatis, all the guys that they're talking about, is MVPs are great candidates, but we won 107 games to your point. And Crawford, not only offensively, but defensively was definitely our MVP. Um, we don't want win 107 games without him. Um, we did have contributions from everybody. You mentioned Posey and, and, and belt and, and Lamont Wade jr. Came on our pitching, uh, you know, the young Duvall uh, ended up closing games down the stretch. What we were desperate need of somebody to be able to do that as Jake McGee was down and then and Raj had thrown a lot so uh Rogers so um I agree with you but uh I I I don't agree with uh I don't agree with the the comment that Lindor should have won the gold glove over Brandon Crawford um for me I mean I saw him a little bit but after watching Crawford every single day uh, he was the heart and soul of our team Yeah, I think that's a big part of it, seeing somebody play every single day. I mean, you really can appreciate what Crawford does, and you've seen him play every single day for so many years since he first came up as a young pup. And, you know, you've worked with the middle infielders like Crawford and, you know, the double play combination. Uh, Tell us about how he grew as a shortstop. I mean, he always had that athletic skill, and he's always been able to make those spectacular plays. But, you know, he's so consistent now, too. Yeah, I think that's the key, and that's the one thing that we worked hard on. Look, uh, good coaches are made by good players, and uh, I definitely had a a great pupil in Brandon Crawford because he had all the skills. When he came up, you know, Jose Alguacil was our first base coach here. He's managing in Venezuela right now. Uh, Did a great job with with Craw, helping him, uh, you know, get his feet settled into professional baseball and, and working with him. And I don't know if you've ever seen the highlight tapes of him and double A doing all his trick plays. He'd yeah. catch ground balls, slip it behind the black, I mean, behind his back. So he could always do that. He always had great hands, an accurate arm, and, and a tremendous glove to hand transfer. But the thing that uh, um, really you got to credit him was with is, you know, when he got to the big leagues, he tried to make too many plays. And if there's one thing I helped him with more than anything was, trying to get him to understand that you can't make every play. Um, you know, you want to be consistent, let the great play take care of itself. And, you know, after a, a couple bumps in the road and a lot of errors in the first half, he started to buy into that. And, 
He spoke a little bit publicly this year about this gold glove may have been one of his most rewarding because, you know, people were doubting him, saying he was done. He hasn't won it in a few years. And basically what he said, again, was, you know, he tried, he didn't try to make too many plays. He just tried to be more consistent. If he went in the hole with a fast runner hit and he knew if he dove for the ball, he couldn't make the play to stay on his feet. So he was a lot smarter. He was a lot more rested. Um, you know, he didn't take as many ground balls uh, as he has in the past with his age. And, you know, that's what maturity does. And my hat's off for him for putting the year together he did both offensively and defensively. And I think the extra time off and, and the maturity uh, really helped him stay strong and healthy throughout the year. You know, some of these highlight plays, they seem so instinctual. You know, you, you think about the Joe Panic play in the World Series with Crawford turning a double play, and there was the Tommy LaStella play in the postseason where, I mean, it just seemed so improbable that they would turn a double play, especially with a shift on and the way they had to do it, and Crawford, you know, contorting his body to be able to grab that off of the flip. These glove flips are, are pretty amazing these days. I mean, I don't even know. Can you work on all that stuff, or is it all instinctual? Well, you know, um, it's it's mostly instinctual. When you're good, you're good like that. You mentioned the play with Lestella and Craw on the flip, and he was on the run. I mean, Craw used to work on all that stuff a lot, and probably not in good judgment on my part. I, I took it away from him. I'd give him a hard time when he'd do all that stuff because I just, I just thought it wasn't a good habit to build. But I know a lot of coaches let their guys do that because when you have an opportunity – uh, to have to make one of those plays, you practiced it. Um, but I've always been about consistency, and, and these guys that are good, th- those things just happen for them. So you see a little bit of both. Some people work on it a little bit. Uh, for me, I just want them to be consistent and make the routine play and let your instincts take over and, and those great plays uh, happen because of your athleticism. And the Giants have uh, put out a qualifying offer for Brandon Belt. And, you know, I, I think if he wasn't around anymore, they would definitely miss his bat, you know, his on-base percentage, his power. But how about the defense? That gets lost a lot of times. I mean, he may not win a gold glove, but he saves the, the infielders a lot of times from mistakes uh, because he could dig the ball out and he just plays the position so well. Yeah, Joe, you're right. He's another guy. He's always been an outstanding first baseman. Um, and saves a lot of errors from his fellow infielders. And, you know, all the little things he does around first base uh, get overlooked, you know, not for myself and Kai and, and everybody that watches this guy's play. What, you know, just not picking a ball out of the dirt, but, you know, he'll, he'll position himself. He'll break off the bag at the right time. He'll, he'll do, he'll, he can crash on a crash play and get the lead runner out. Um, all these things in, in big moments uh, make a difference and you know you don't they don't show up on the stat page but uh, when you watch him every day all these little things that he does um, he helps you win ball games and not all first basemen can do those things so yeah we do need to sign him back um, look you know Posey's we lost Posey now in the middle of that order um, if we lose belt um, we're going to have to go out and pay big money to find someone to replace his offensive production and on base look you know he's a he's an analytical dream right he gets on base he's going to have a lot of suitors mm-hmm. um but i think he's a guy that we need to keep in our lineup and we need to do everything we can to uh, bring him back you know i know you've worked on aligning the shifts and that that can't be 
an easy job. Uh, you know, these days, everybody is shifting so much. There, like you said, there's so much as far as analytics. And I always wonder, like, how difficult it is for some players, like, like an Evan Longoria, when you're playing over on the second baseman side of second base, and it's just a little awkward sometimes. You know, you're playing out there, you're out in right field. It, it's just different. Uh, you know, how is that uh, challenging as far as being a coach and trying to figure all of that out with these players? Well, I think it's a lot easier today than it was about four or five years ago when the shift was just getting implemented and the guy beat the shift and everybody, all the pitching staff and everybody was up in arms and, you know, what the heck's going on. I think it's pretty much accepted now. Um, you don't hear as much as complaining when, when the shift is beaten because the players realize it's taking away more hits and the pitcher realize um, they're giving up less hits because of the shift. But to your point, of working with the players, you know, I, I'm always joking with the third baseman because I'm coaching third there and Justin Turner. I said, Justin, you're too old to be running out there in right field. You know, every, <laughs> every batter, he, they take off and they run to the other side of the field and with two strikes, a lot of times they, they come all the way back and it's, uh, it's almost comical. Not one third baseman enjoys it, all the extra running that they have to do. I think probably the only one guy that enjoys it is probably Manny Machado because he's the best in the game at going out there in right field. I mean, shoot, he plays shallow right field on these shifts, <laughs> and he's got that cannon for an arm where he can get away with it. I mean, he is really impressive on the shift. So it's it's uh, the players are buying into it. It's just part of what they do, just like looking at their cards to see where they're supposed to be. And I think it's easier today than it was five years ago because it's accepted. Speaking of buying in, that is a term that I used a lot this year on this podcast when I was talking to George Contos uh, as my regular guest. We, we talked about Gabe Kapler and players buying in to what he was doing because I don't know that that was going to be easy when you guys showed up at spring training and you know thinking about hockey line changes where you know players are going to be pinched hit for in the middle of the game and the, you know in the way the pitchers are used everything that Kapler does this team bought into it how did that all come to fruition well that's a great that's a great question and uh you know first of all uh Gabe did a great job um he stuck to his his plan and his beliefs on how we wanted to approach this thing, and it was always team first. And there was a lot of pushback. I mean, you're always going to have pushback when you make a big change like that. And, you know, you're a new group and you're trying something different. And uh, But I, I think most of the pushback, you know, came last year um, in, in the first year that we were doing this. And I think as things evolved and, and players were having success and we were winning games, um, the pushback got less and less and less. So really, it only took about a year um, for him to implement uh, his approach and get these guys to buy in. And, and you know, Joe, when you're winning games and people are being successful, <laughs> it's a lot easier to buy in than if you're struggling and you're losing. And, and we never missed a beat. So, um, you know, there was conversations with players and, I, and Gabe made some great adjustments. You know, um, I've had a lot of people ask me about him and, you know, the manager he was in Philly and then the manager he was here. And uh, I know he uh, he talked to the guys an awful lot. He also gave them a lot more rope, I think, that he did in the past to prove themselves and, and to listen to what they were saying. So I thought he did a great job managing uh, this group of players and, and making this buy-in a little bit smoother 
and, and, and there was a lot of give and take and a lot of open ears, and he got it done. He did a great job. I mean, when you watched it you know, publicly, there were times where you would see Lamont Wade maybe coming out of the game and giving a hug to Austin Slater, who's pinch hitting for him. I don't know if you would have seen that years ago. You know, that's really buying into it that you're you're the ultimate team player, that you actually have a smile on your face while it's happening. Yeah, you're right. You know, I mean, the buy-in is huge, and it's much easier for a young guy to buy in and being part of it than a veteran guy that's always been an everyday guy. And I think that Gabe treated our veteran guys like everyday guys, um, you know, the best that he could when they were struggling. Um, they, they, they got rest. So, you know, our core group, the Posies, the Longos, the, you know, the Craws, the Belts, you know, they didn't get pinch hit for very, very much because they were performing so well. They did last year and they did in moments and we still implemented, you know, the day off. I mean, Gabe would say, okay, we're facing a tough lefty. Craw, you wouldn't play. You know, Belt, you're not playing. And we played the right and the left. And honestly, I think the players, um, to your point, you know, were having success. It was easier to buy in, and they didn't mind a few more off days. And that was another reason I think that, you know, everybody's been talking about this for years, give player more off, players more off days. Well, it's easier to do when you have a, a, a comparable replacement. But when you go from, you know, an all-star caliber player and you put a, a fringe backup in that's a call-up, a triple-A, a big league guy, uh, you lose so much. But our roster was built different, and you got to credit Farhan. We had major league players on the bench. You know, the right-handed lineup had, had Flores and Solano and, and guys that, you know, had played every day. So um, I think it was, again, easier for our guys to buy in when they're getting a day off and, and they see a, a quality major leaguer getting the start over them. And uh, it just steamrolled from there. It was a close-knit group. We won games, and uh, they did. They all bought in. Yeah, and Farhan Zaidi wins Executive of the Year, uh, deservedly so. Uh, you know, you, you think about the coaching staff, too. You have so many coaches. So there's a lot of different uh, angles to, you know, trying to improve as a player. You, you got different voices. And that was another thing that was really impressive, Ron, was that, I mean, you have even veteran players that were changing their style a little bit. I mean, Posey's stance changed a little bit. You know, he didn't have the bat over his shoulder as much. And Crawford, he changed his approach a little bit, too. That was another part that I just thought, man, I I didn't see that coming, that these new coaches would be able to, you know, implement that so easily. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Like, I think the whole staff did a, a fantastic job, and I think the uh, the extra help, I mean, in, in reality, we had three hitting coaches, not two, and, uh, you know, you can delve into other things. There's there's more preparation. Uh, there's more people available uh, to help the guys, um, and it's a collaborative effort on the hitting coach's job. I mean, everybody has different opinions, so if you've got three coaches maybe conversing on what's the best for one guy, uh, it goes a long way than just one guy with his thoughts and his opinions. So I think that happened in a lot of areas of the game for us, um, wh- whether it was a pitching staff. Uh, they did a tremendous job as well. Um, you know, JP and, and Bales and, and Albie helped out quite a bit. Um, it just it just worked. And um, you, like you said, uh, you got to get buy-in from the new voices. And uh you know, uh, we did. Um, the guys, you know, stuck with their plan. I think it was just a whole new, different uh, approach. And, uh, you know, after last year, 
and we came into this spring and signed a, a lot more major league players, I think guys were, were, were really liking what was happening. They were getting more off days. They were treated great. And uh, they were getting help from the coaches. So, um, and as I said, you start winning and the buy-in and, and the success comes, everybody's a lot more comfortable with it. You were a third-base coach, a bench coach, and you worked with all these different managers. You had Dusty Baker, Felipe Alou, Bruce Bochy, and then Kapler. I'm, I'm curious just some of your fondest memories because you mentioned the four World Series and winning three of them in a row and just that transition from one manager to another, and you were still there the entire time and all of the – you know, great moments, but I'm sure other challenging moments that occurred when you were, uh, you know, going under a new regime. Yeah, you know, look, it's just like the players, and I tell Craw and, and Bell, oh, you know, the guys that I know, look, it's an adjustment for me too, just not them, the different style, because, um, right, we were in a, a different philosophy and a different approach. So uh, I think that was good that, uh, you know, I could share my feelings with them as well. And, and they can share them with me and say, hey, you know, let's, let's just stick with it. You just play and uh, we'll see how it goes. And everything went tremendous. So, um, you know, it, it's a game of adjustments for players, for coaches, for everybody. And I know that's a cliche, but, you know, I have a job to do. And uh, I've always tried to stay focused on what my job is. And the big picture stuff, if that's not my job, or, or um, then I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to control what I can control, stay in my area, and, um, and, and do my thing. So whether it was, whether it was Dusty or to Felipe, to Boach, and to Cap, I think probably the biggest uh, difference in approach was obviously Cap and Farhan. Um, but the results you can't argue with. And uh, we all did our job. And it was a learning experience for me too, Joe. I mean, there was a lot of things that, that I necessarily didn't believe in that may have opened my eyes a little bit. And I also think it was a learning experience for some of our coaches, um, you know, with, with my input on, on why I, I think we should do something a little bit different. So um, it was actually, uh, in hindsight, uh, a growing experience and, and something that I'm glad that I went through because um, there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat. And you have to keep an open mind. And, and we had a great group of guys, and uh, it all worked out. Yeah, I mean, you, you saw so much, including the Barry Bonds years. And this is the last year for him on the ballot. Should he be in the Hall of Fame? Well, for me, he should. I mean, look, come on. How do you keep Barry Bonds, uh, the home run king, out of the Hall of Fame? Right. You know, I mean, the steroid thing, look, I mean, there was – we don't know the number of players that were – that were, were doing it through that era and pitchers. There were a lot of pitchers that were on it. So everybody was getting an edge and, you know, players were always getting an edge in this game, whether they're taking the red juice back in the day or the greenies or, or their steroids or wh- whatever they're doing, they're finding an edge. And um, the, the guy would probably, the guy would have made the hall of fame um, regardless uh, of, of, of what happened with the home runs, later on in his career. So, look, um, I'm partial, just like the Bay Area loves Bonds and what he did for this organization. I saw this guy every day, and uh, there's nobody close to the talent that he had at, at home plate as a hitter. I mean, and I, and I say that with, without any reservation, the greatest hitter I have ever seen 
um, for years and years and years, and uh, the best players in the game don't even come close to him today. Well said. All right, to finish up, uh, you've had you know several interviews for Major League Baseball, managing jobs, and and I always wondered you know how much of a dream that was for you, or you know how you handled the disappointment of not getting those, and then just kind of you know ratcheted up again to be a coach because you know that's not always easy. I mean, you you definitely were qualified to be a Major League manager. There were times there where I mean, it seemed like a no brainer. You're coming off World Series championships. You're one of the best coaches in the game, uh, and it, it didn't happen. So how have you uh, been able to, you know, just deal with all the emotion involved in that? Because I, I know that would be something that, that would have been great for your career. Yeah, Joe, that's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. It, it would have been nice, you know. Look, but I started managing in the minor leagues when I retired as a player or forced retirement, right? I couldn't get a job, right, a minor league job. So I took a coaching job with the Giants, and I managed seven years, and I loved it. When I got to the big leagues, as a coach, I wanted to manage, and I probably wanted to manage for a good 15 to 18 years and, and got interviews, you know, always got passed over, didn't get an opportunity. And, you know, there was a, came a point about five or six years ago where it, uh, it, it was something that uh, I didn't concern myself with, and I was at peace with, you know, what I've done as a coach, you know, the World Series and all that we accomplished. I've had tremendous responsibility here and, uh, and I'm, I'm sincere when I say that, uh, you know, the last five or six years, I had no desire to manage because um, I was, you know, uh, kind of tired worrying about it. The yeah. game was changing, and, and I was at peace with, with the job that I had to do with the responsibility and accepted that this is, this is, this is my role. And, and even to this day, um, right now, I, I can honestly tell you it's not something that I think about. Uh, I've had a tremendous career. I've been blessed. I've been in the same place for 24 years with great people. And this organization has been like a family to me. And I'm just blessed to be able to have the run that I had. And uh, um, so I don't think twice. But I will say this, Joe, I would have had a good, I would have done a, a fine job as a manager. There's no doubt in my mind uh, that I would have been able to have some success doing that just as I did as a coach. But uh, I don't think twice about it anymore. That's good to hear. And, yeah, I agree. I think he would have been a great major league manager. I always thought of that about Tim Flannery. I mean, he was a minor league manager on a team that I covered in Rancho Cucamonga. We won the Cal League. And I always thought, man, Tim would be great. And I think the Giants have been so lucky to have coaches like you and Tim Flannery that you know could have been great major league managers as well, but ended up being unbelievable coaches for the World Series runs. Yeah, you're, you're right, and, and it takes a village. Um, it takes all the coaches when you win a World Series, and Flan did a tremendous job for us at third base and with the bunning, and, of course, we had rags and, and as a pitching coach and guardy. And, you know, I'm kind of amazed. The way the game is today, you know, a coach has one good year, and, and everybody wants your people. Well, we, we went to the World Series, you know, three out of five years, and nobody wanted our people. And, uh, you know, I, it, it kind of shake my head at that is, is, you know, if it was in today's game, you wouldn't be able to keep that staff together. So it, uh, things have evolved, things have changed and, uh, you know, different people are getting hired and for different reasons and different philosophies and, and that's okay. The game evolves, but I'll tell you what, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything in my career and the people that I worked with, those coaches that you mentioned, um, I can't say anything more than their, their family to me and some of the greatest memories in my life have been shared with them. 
All right, Ron, thank you so much for the time and uh, always appreciated uh, any of the interviews that you gave me when I was at the ballpark all the time and look forward to seeing you in some type of role with the Giants and I hope that uh, you'll be happy with uh, anything that comes your way here in the near future. Uh, Thank you very much. Joe, always good being with you. I appreciate your friendship over the years and I'll see you at the ballpark. I'm sure I'm going to be around. So uh, thanks and it was good being with you. That's Ron Wotus, 34 years in the Giants organization and 24 of those seasons on the big league coaching staff. Great to have him with us here on the Sports Virus Podcast. We'll be back again next week. I'm Joe Castellano. Thanks for listening on the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.